that shoebox is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Oh, look at how much they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoeboxes. They are so happy. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about his son, Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? Every year we see tens of thousands of children discipled. And we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes. Thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. Good morning, church. Uh, so as you, you probably are very familiar with Operation Christmas Child, uh, but I'm excited to begin uh, collecting shoeboxes again this year. We have about six weeks. The collection date is the week of November 12th, and there are a few different ways that you can participate. Uh, the first is you can obviously pick up a shoebox in the lobby, and you will fill it up with gifts for a boy or for a girl, and there are three different age groups. Uh, I want to tell you that the largest group that needs shoeboxes are the oldest boys. They get the fewest boxes collected for them, so if you want to take that into consideration. So you can fill a box and bring it back. That's one way. Another way you can support OCC is by donating money towards the shipping and processing fee. Our uh, 418 kids fill up shoe boxes every year, and they are so excited to do that. But it is a $10 uh, donation to cover the shipping and processing. So if you would like to donate towards that, you can give that to, um, to the ladies in the lobby at the OCC table, or you can find myself if you would like to do that. And then the third way... I really want to emphasize is you can pack a shoebox online. On our Luke 418 website, there is a link you can click, and for the cost of $25, you can choose uh, items that will fill the shoebox. You can include a picture of yourself and your family and a personal message. The great thing about filling a shoebox online is it includes that $10 shipping and processing fee, so it's a flat $25, but the best part is the boxes that are filled online go into the most hardest to reach areas of the world. And these aren't just boxes of gifts. Every box is a gospel opportunity. And so I want you to pray about how you can um, participate in this opportunity. I do have a few other announcements this morning. We have a senior adult trip to Branson. That's April 14th through 18th. And the cost is $9.50 per person. You do have to pay a deposit of $250, and that will reserve your spot. And the deadline for that deposit is October 15th. We do have some deacon nominations from now until October 22nd. And there are forms at the welcome table and at the table by the sound booth in the back. A new member class is coming up, and that is going to be held on October 8th, 15th, and 22nd. And that's at 9 a.m. in the auditorium. You can sign up at the No table or through our church website. And finally, the Mobile Baptist Association International Ministries is hosting their annual Walk for Bibles on Saturday, October 14th. And that raises funds to provide Bibles for the seafarers that are coming to the port here in Mobile. And Luke 418 will sponsor everyone who participates in the Walk for Bibles with $100. And you can sign up for that walk at the Go table. 
The walk, again, is Saturday, October 14th from 7.30 to 11.30, and that's at the Medal of Honor Park. And now I'd like you to turn your attention to the baptistry, please. Well, it is always a joy to begin our service uh, with baptism. And this morning we have two coming down for baptism. We have Liberty McDavid and her mother, Carla McDavid. Y'all come on down. Liberty and I had the opportunity uh, and Carla to meet not too long ago. She also met with Miss Melanie and just shared about how she recognizes she's a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And in that time, she said that she wanted to believe, trust, and follow Christ as her Lord and Savior. And so, Liberty, I ask you, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Yes. Amen. Well, Liberty, it's upon your profession of faith, my sister, that I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bury with Christ unto death, and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Won't you step right over here? Next, we have her mother. I'm going to move this out of the way. Next, we have her mother, Miss Carla. She has come and shared with me that she got baptized at a young age, but she's been saved for several years uh, after that point, and she's coming today saying uh, to the church, she said, I, I need to go walk in believer's baptism after salvation. And so she's here today with her daughter in the baptismal pool, professing Christ as her Lord and Savior. And so Carla, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Amen. It's upon your profession of faith, my sister, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ unto death, and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Father, we just thank you so much. For what baptism re uh, represents, it's an outward expression of an inward decision of that which has taken place in our hearts. Father, it's proclaiming that you sent your son to die on the cross while we were still sinners. And that those who believe and trust in you shall have eternal life, will be set free. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. And now, Lord, I pray that even today there will be those in this room who will profess Christ for the first time as their Lord and Savior. Father, we just thank you for this testimony, and most of all, let your name be lifted high. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. What a powerful picture. A daughter seeing her, her mother be obedient to Christ as we are to be obedient to Christ. Why don't we stand together and we uh, welcome someone to Luke 418 Fellowship today. If you're a guest with us, we have uh, some packets that you can fill out in the seat back pocket right in front of you. Turn that thing in at the box at the back of the room.
We serve a God that is a lion in the fact that he has created it all and provided a way through Jesus. And he's a lamb because he sacrificed for us. Let's sing, he's coming on the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Amen. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Sing it out today. Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and he's fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Our God's a lamb. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Man, he's Lord. So open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is lion. We say you alone are worthy of our praise today. No one can stop you. We know you're on our side. And who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Sing it, church. Yes, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Oh, who can stop the Lord? Yeah. We worship him for who he is 
and what he does in our lives as he's brought us all together as the body of Christ. If you look around today, you see brothers and sisters both professing the same thing, that Jesus died, was risen on that third day, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. We worship that God, the God who is. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. Yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. Shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, then he rose from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Because we were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord.
You may be seated as we continue in worship. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. And He is King and Lord, no matter what we think, but He's provided a way for us to submit ourselves to Him. Let's sing all creatures of our God and King. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh, praise Him, alleluia. softer gleam Oh, praise Him Oh, praise Him Alleluia 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 Let all things their creator bless. Let all things their creator bless. And worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Yes, praise, praise the Father, praise the Son.
praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Amen. This is the story of the gospel, the thing that we believe. Let's praise him today for that. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three and one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Reveal the kingdom come and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation. You did not despise the cross, for even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Though when this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake, you died. That stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. Sing this today. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not fail. By his blood and his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me.
Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we know this story. Father, you have given it to us, it to us in your word. And we've heard it again and again and again and again and again. We've been so privileged in that fact, Lord. We know that you have equipped us so that we can go out. Lord, we still know that our hearts are prone to wonder, prone to leave the God that we love. So I pray today that we would take to heart all that you have given us and that we might return back to you if we have gone astray. That we would seek the counsel of a brother or sister in Christ who is able to tell us straight, Lord, that you would give them the words to say that we would be able to read in your word how we are to come back to you. I pray revival in this place, Lord. I pray that it would start with us in our own hearts and that it would just grow and grow and grow from there, Lord. We know that you have all power and all authority. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just and faithful, and you alone are 
Amen. Thank you, Josh, and the choir and the orchestra for leading us in that. I know that many of you saw the uh, bulletin that came out on Friday. I shared with you that we'll be in Proverbs 3, uh, well, in this famous passage of 5 and 6. And I really believe that that song uh, spoke to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Let me just read that. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Is that not what the words of those, that song just said? And so I pray that you would allow that just to sink into your heart. Now, I will tell you that today we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, uh, but obviously 5 and 6 is in the middle of that. But I just want you to hear how when they are singing, they're singing God's word uh, by the songs that are chosen by Brother Aaron and, and others. And so I just thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Proverbs. We're going to read Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 4, and then we will jump to chapter 3 and read 1 through 12. So if you will open up to Proverbs chapter 2, 1 through 4, and then Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. I want to remind you last week we started our study on Proverbs. We saw 
uh, who needs wisdom, right? And that's all of us. All of us fit into one of the categories uh, that we saw last week. And then we saw at the end that wisdom is not just a list of rules and regulations. Wisdom is a person, Wisdom is Jesus. And so to have wisdom starts with the fear of God, which means a relationship, a reverence, a trusting, a believing in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so as we look at this passage, as we open up the book of Proverbs over the next 13 weeks to three years, depending on how long we take, Remember, at the root of this is that wisdom starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Trust and belief that he is who he says he is. Trust and belief that he has done what he says he will do or that he would do, which is going to the cross for us. And trust and believe that he truly enters our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. Today we're going to read, and I uh, said we're going to start in chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 and then flip over to chapter 3, 1 through 12. It says this, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as a hidden treasure. Chapter 3, verses 1 and on. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandment. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all of your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. And today, I recognize that I'm desperately dependent on you to speak. I'm desperately dependent on you for your word to go forth. For my word will return void, but yours will accomplish that which it was set out to do. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would guard my mind and my heart and that you would speak in and through me today, Lord, that you would illuminate the pages through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may all hear and obey that which you are speaking. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start by just kind of sharing with you the points, the structure that we're going to take today. The first thing we're going to look at is in Proverbs 2, 1 through 4, we see that we're called to receive wisdom. We're called to receive or seek out wisdom. Then we go to chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and the first thing we're going to see is that we're called to obey wisdom. So we're called to receive wisdom, we're called to obey wisdom, and then we're going to look and see that, we, uh, that there is a re- reward for those who obey 
wisdom. Now, you may say, David, why didn't we continue on in chapter 2? You, you shared all about what we're supposed to do, but then in verse 5 it says, then you will, and all these things will happen. Well, we'll look at that at the reward at the last part of this message today. So the first thing that we're going to see is that we're called to receive wisdom. I want you to listen to the action that has taken place in verses 1 through 4. Son, if you will receive my words... If you'll treasure my commandments, you'll make your ear attentive. If you'll incline your heart to understanding, if you'll cry for discernment, if you'll lift your voice for understanding, if you will seek wisdom and search for wisdom as for a hidden treasure. As we look at this, we see that there's many things that we're called to do in receiving wisdom. One is that we're called to treasure and desire wisdom. We're called to treasure and desire wisdom. Now, in all of these subpoints, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture to kind of uh, go home and read and back this kind of uh, each one up. But Psalm 119.11 tells us, Your word I've treasured, or some of you have memorized it as hidden, I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Church, what value do you place on God's word? That which you truly value, you will make time for. Just think about it for a moment. How many of you prioritized your day yesterday around a three-hour game? That's all I'll say. Now, I'm not, I will say this. I'm not going to say that it's wrong to prioritize your day around your favorite team that's going to play. But what I want you to understand is that if you're going to prioritize your Saturday around a team, are you going to prioritize every day around God's Word? The way that we will prioritize and fight to make sure that we are at a place that we can watch and see that which is going on whenever our team is playing. Will we also treasure God's word so much and desire it that we will prioritize all of our days every day in the same way that we're going to fight for that every morning or evening or throughout the day? Church, the next thing it says in this passage is, do, we, do you listen to wisdom? Do you listen to God's word? We must treasure it and desire it, but we must also listen. What is Matthew 7? Y'all, we've preached on this before. We've talked through it. But in Matthew 7, it gives the, the two different builders. One builds upon the rock, one builds upon the sand. And the difference is not, did they hear? The difference is, is if they were obedient to what they heard. In Matthew 7, it says, he who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, is a wise builder. Further down it says, he who hears these words and does not act upon them is a foolish builder who builds his house upon the sand. Church, you may remember the message of the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And in this, we see this word Shema means to listen, and if you're truly listening, then you're what? Obeying. If you're not obeying, then you're not truly listening. Y'all got that? You know, parents, have you ever dealt with kids that are so focused on the electronics that you tell them something? Grandparents, you probably have experienced this too. You tell them something, they're like, "Uh uh-huh. And then they don't go and do what you told them, and you say, why didn't you do it? And they said, because I didn't hear you say that. Why didn't they hear it? Because they were focused on something else. 
But the reality of it is, is that you don't truly hear unless you are obeying. Now, we may laugh and and chuckle about our children, but, you know, wives, you may have dealt with this when your husbands were watching a game yesterday. You know, you say something, they're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And then later they didn't do that or whatever you ask and you recognize they truly weren't listening. When I was in premarital counseling uh, with my wife or my fiance Leslie before we were married, uh, our pastor said, sometimes you have to make sure that you have his attention. And so you may have to say, hey, will you pause the game for a second so that I can share something with you? Because until you have their attention, they're not going to be able to hear. Church, how do we have our attention focused on God's Word? It's by desiring it, by seeking it like a precious treasure, a jewel, right? So we're called to desire, we're called to treasure God's Word, we're called to listen to God's Word, but church, we're also called to cry out for wisdom. This is all in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, cry out for discernment in verse 3. Do we Cry out to God to give us wisdom and understanding. I love what James chapter 1 verse 5, but if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who will give you generously without reproach and it will be given to him. God promises to give wisdom generously without reproach. But there is a caveat here. What are we called to do? Ask. We're called to cry out to God. We're called to pray, to seek his face. How often, and I'm just kind of just speaking this, not knowing each person's situation, but how often do we open up God's Word to read without first getting on our knees and asking God to show us and to guide us? The Scripture says the Holy Spirit will be our tutor and our guide. That's the reason why I often pray on Sunday mornings, Holy Spirit, illuminate the pages for us to hear and obey that which you are speaking Church, we must recognize that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can understand that which God is speaking. So we're called to cry out for wisdom. We're called to seek wisdom. Um, We're called to, uh, to listen to wisdom. But then we're also called to seek and search wisdom like a hidden treasure. Like a treasure. Matthew 13, 44, one of the parables, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again. And with joy, he sells everything to go and buy that field. He was joyful over that treasure that he had found. Church, do we come to God's word simply to check a box to read it? Or do we desire to hear the wisdom of God that is in his word? Do we seek it like a treasure? I was just reminded how kids love scavenger hunts. Have you ever thought about that? And you know, in a scavenger hunt, uh, they go out and they're they're searching, they're looking, and they won't stop until they find it. You know, in the Word of God, it's somewhat similar. You may say, "Well, well, David, is God hiding His truth from us that we have to go seek it out? Well, God's not hiding that. The, the, The scavenger hunt aren't things aren't hidden they're going to look for those things right but the reality of it is is that God says in Matthew and Mark that he speaks Jesus speaks in parables so that those who are in Christ will be able to hear that which is being said let me just read to you Mark 4 9 through 12 and he was saying he who has ears to hear let him hear 
And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may uh, see not... uh, Excuse me, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And you may say, whoa, David, I don't, this this scripture, this passage, this is tough. Like, what's going on here? Well, what Jesus is saying, you got to understand in this passage, he was sharing parables. Then he went away with his disciples. They asked for understanding, how are we able to get this? But these people over here aren't getting it. What's going on? And Jesus tells him, tells the disciples, hey, listen, they don't have ears to hear. They don't have eyes to see. If they did, then they would come to salvation. If they did, they would have sought forgiveness. We must recognize that God is always speaking. The question is, is will we seek his wisdom with his understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit? Will we seek it like a treasure? Will we desire it in our heart? Church, we see this in in Proverbs 2, that we're called to receive wisdom, and that requires us listening. That requires us desiring God's word. That requires us crying out and seeking God. That requires us seeking it like a hidden treasure. But then we go to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we get this really unique understanding. You may, may not have seen this. I've, I, I've read a lot of commentaries, a lot of different things. And we see here that, that the author uses words that are often used in understanding of a covenant. You'll see in in chapter 3, you'll see that we're called to, uh, in verse 3, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Uh, This passage, these words, remind us of the fact that God is a covenant-making God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I shared with you Shema, and it speaks about, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, right? And then it tells us what to do, but then in verse 6, 7 and 8, or excuse me, 8 and 9, in verse 8 and 9, it uses those words again. It says, you shall bind them on your hand. You shall put them on the uh, frontals of your forehead. It says, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. We see this reminder of and sharing with all those around what God has done. We want to tell our children. We talked about this last week. There is this binding on us. There is this writing on our heart. You may say, well, David, I don't know if I fully see the, that this is covenant language. Well, look at Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-three. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them on their heart, and I will write it. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So it's very interesting that as we look at Proverbs 3, 1 through 12, we have to see it in view of the covenant that God has with us. Now, I will say to you that, that covenant is oftentimes misunderstood in our culture. And the reason is because the one example that we have every day of covenant is marriage. Think about it. What does marriage do? Marriage reflects A covenant relationship between Christ and who? The church. And in our nation, we see that marriage is under major attack. Why? I believe 
that it's under severe attack because the enemy wants to distort the view of covenant. Manser's definition of covenant is this, a solemn agreement or promise by which two or more parties commit themselves to the rights and responsibilities demanded by their relationship and their agreed course of action and accept the serious consequence of breaking faith. I like how John, uh, author John Witten Jr. states this. He says, marriage today is viewed increasingly at large, I mean at law and at large today as a private bilateral contract to be formed, maintained, dissolved as a couple sees fit. So what we see today oftentimes is that marriage, which is a covenant relationship that God has blessed us with, oftentimes we see it as a contractual agreement that is designed to fulfill promises, but if not fulfilled, the contract can be discarded. But on the other hand, a covenant relationship lasts through all of life's circumstances. And I believe this is why the marriage vows say, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, sickness and in health, until death do we part. Now, I speak all that to tell you that we don't have that full understanding of covenant because of how marriage, which is a reflection of the covenant of Christ and the church, has been distorted today. So we've got to get back to the root of what is a covenant relationship, and this is something that's not to be broken. This is something that God has created. Jesus speaks of the new covenant that we are part of. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 22, 21 through 22. This is talking about the the, the Lord's Supper. And and Jesus says, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So when we think about a covenant relationship, and as we look at Chapters 3, 1 through 12, we're going to look at this even deeper. We must recognize this covenant relationship, first off, is Jesus. He gave his life for you by dying on the cross, by being raised again on the third day, and offering the free gift of eternal life by those who submit and surrender to him. Our portion of that covenant relationship is laying our life down completely and receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, saying, here is my life. You gave your life for me, I give my life to you. Church, when we take of communion, that's what you're being reminded of. You're being reminded of the fact that Jesus died, he rose again, and uh, that, that he's ascended into heaven, and that he is the mediator between us and God every day. But we're also recognizing that when you take of that cup, you are saying, I'm in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. So now we look at verses 1 through 12. I like how Bruce Uh, Waltke points out that it's interesting that the odd numbers in verses 1 through 10 show us our portion of the covenant. And the even verses show us God's portion of the covenant. Let me say that again. The odd verses of 1 through 10, so that's 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9, show us our portion of the covenant. Then the even numbers show us God's portion of the covenant. So let's look at this. In verses 1... 3, 5, 7, and 9 says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Do not let your kindness and truth leave you. 
Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Uh, man's, uh, excuse me, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all produce. So what we see here is in chapter 2, we've called to receive wisdom. But in chapter 3, verses 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9, we see that we're called to obey wisdom. We're called to obey wisdom. That obedience is our portion of the covenant relationship that we have with Christ. So let's just dig out a few things that we see in 1 through 10 and the odd numbers. First, we see that we're called to keep God's commandments. We're called to keep his commandments. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Your love for Christ is shown through your obedience to his word. If you truly love Christ, then you will truly follow his word. Now you may say, David, you mean I have to follow his word in order to love Christ? No, you have to love Christ in order to follow his word. This is what takes place. The the being in Christ is first. The doing in Christ comes second. If you do before being, you build legalism. I've shared that a hundred times. I'll say it again. If you try to follow the commandments of God without having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will build legalism in your life. And I'm here to tell you that it will never satisfy you. You will always come short. Not only are we to keep his commandments in this scripture, we're called to write them on our heart. We're called to write them on our heart. This goes back to Psalm 119.11. You've hidden your word in my heart that I will not sin against thee. But you may say, David, how do we write his commandments and law on our heart? Well, I believe we do that through one of my favorite passages, Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall be careful to do according to it, all that's written in it. How do we write them on our heart? By spending time in his word, by meditating day and night. We can go back to chapter 2 by having a desire and a hunger to be in his word, by asking God to give us wisdom and guidance as we seek his word. Church, we write God's word and truth on our heart, through the Holy Spirit, by disciplining ourselves in His Word. Can I tell you that I've had several people come up to me, or to brothers in Christ, and they've shared this with me, and they've said, hey, this person came up and said, hey, I really wish that I had as much Scripture memorized as this person does, or that person, right? You probably even thought that in your own heart or mind. And I'm here to tell you, you can. You just have to discipline yourself for it. When I trained for the Ironman, uh, I used to eat anything I wanted to. I mean, I would eat anything I wanted to, and I wouldn't. I was still losing weight. And people would tell me, they would sit down and have lunch with me, and they'd be like, how did you just eat, like, two meals? Man, I wish I could eat like that. And i tell them, you can. You just got to get up at 3 o'clock and go do cardio for five hours. And then you can eat what I eat. So it's the same thing here, church. You may say, man, like, how does this person recall Scripture? How is this written on their heart? It's because they've disciplined themselves for the purpose of godliness. 
I'm reminded what Alistair Begg said. You know, you, uh, uh, oak tree doesn't grow overnight. It takes time. But we also all need to recognize that we are all a work under construction. And so we don't need to compare ourselves and say, well, if I just get to this place, then I've made it. No, what we need to do is say, God, this is where I am. And you are doing a mighty work in my life. And I'm just thankful for it. And if any of us or anybody in this room has gained a lot of uh, knowledge throughout the years in the Word of God, we need to come along and champion those who are coming to, who have just come to faith and help uh, encourage them and strengthen them. It should never be, look at how much I know and you need to get up to it. Because then we're really not walking according to God's Word. So we see that we're called to keep His commandments. We see that we're called to write them on our heart. Then we also see that we are to trust God, not our own thoughts. This is that passage where everybody loves. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Church, we're called to trust God, not our own thoughts. 1 Corinthians 1, 20, and I could have given you a ton of verses, but I won't. Uh, because for time's sake, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Can I just tell you, for some of you in here, you may be saying, yeah, the, the world has foolish wisdom. Can I tell you that when you walk in the flesh, when you walk according to the wisdom of your own understanding, this verse is true about you. When we say, I know better, I I see what God's word says, but I have a better way. The scripture says, trust in the Lord. Trust in, in God. Trust in his truth with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I mean, there are so many examples that I could give you, but how often do we think that we know better than what God's word says? How often do we think we know a better way? The truth, true trust and obedience is to follow God's word even when we think we have a better way. You know, sometimes I've I've heard this, I've used this example before, but I've heard this before where somebody was dealing with a situation with a brother or sister and and they were frustrated with them or, or they saw something in them that they really wanted to go and share and speak into their life, but they said, you know what, I just don't know if they'll be able to receive it. I don't know if they can handle it. Or maybe you're frustrated with a brother or sister and instead of going to them and talking with them, you say, oh, well, it'll just work itself out. Or, well, they need to come to me. Church, we must follow God's word. And his word tells us to put the sacrifice down and go and deal with our brother and sister before we come back to have that sacrifice. We think that we know what's better, but in reality, we're just uncomfortable in following what God's called us to do. We begin to justify it based on all these other things. And then people will tell me, this is this is so interesting. I just want to I just gotta say this. They'll say, you know what, I didn't I didn't do this, and look, it all worked out. Can I tell you? That's because God's sovereign. Do you think that if Moses would have said no to God? that God would not have raised up somebody else to go and set the people free from Egypt? Think about this for a moment. It's easy for us to justify, oh, it all worked out. See, see, I was right, I was right. 
No, the reality of it is, is that God is a sovereign God, a loving God. And I guarantee you, because God is a covenant-keeping God, that if Moses would have said, uh-uh, nope, he would have raised up somebody to go to let his people go. So church, we are called to trust God's word, not our own thoughts, not our own understanding. Our thoughts, our understanding are tainted by the flesh. But God's word's not. God's word's not. And I'll go back and say this again, as I've said last, I think it was last week. Whenever you're seeking wisdom from somebody, make sure they're pointing you back to God's word. Because if they're not, they too can give you tainted wisdom, tainted in the flesh. And then we see this kind of strange verse down here in verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. The only reason I say it's strange is because it feels like, you know, why is this right here in the middle of of this covenant obedience to God's wisdom that we're called to? And I, I believe it's this. God is calling us to give our best and not our leftovers. In our relationship, our covenant relationship with God, we're called to trust Him and to follow Him. We're called to seek His Word. We're called to write it on our heart. And we're called to give Him our best, not our leftovers. You know, I'll give you just, somebody mentioned to me the other day, they said, oh, i got to write my tithe check. And, and I know that most times when you look at this, you think about tithing or giving. And they say, I love to do that at the beginning because at the end of the month, I, it's almost like a struggle and I want to do it out of joy. God wants our best. And the reason he wants our best, and I'm not just simply talking, and this is not just simply about finances. This is about every bit of your life. He wants your best, not your leftovers, not your second best, because God gave his best for you. That while we were sinners, he sent his son, Jesus Think about this for a moment. God is the biggest giver of them all, that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to go to a sinner's death for you. To take the wrath and the pain and the discipline of God upon him and give you the righteousness that he has, his rightful standing before God. Church, we see this example that God is saying, give your best to him, not your leftovers, because he gave his best for you. So we see that we're called to receive wisdom. We see that we're called to obey wisdom. But then the even verses show us the reward of wisdom or God's part of this covenant. Now I told you we would jump back over to chapter 2 because I think that that's also important. Because it also speaks of the reward. Let's just look at verse 9 through 12 of chapter 2. Then you will discern righteousness and justice equity, and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. Then we see the, uh, the even verses of chapter 3. It says this, For length of days... And years of life and peace, they will be added to you. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. 
Your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Church, as we look at this, I just want to take those verses and look at a few things that we see as a reward to obedience, God's portion of this covenant relationship. And one is this, you will understand right from wrong. It says this in chapter 2, it says this in verse 9, to di- you will discern righteousness, justice, equity, and every good course. Church, when we are walking in obedience of God's word, when we trust his word above all things, when we seek it like a treasure, when we desire it with all of our heart, it says that God will give us discernment between right and wrong. I love what John eight thirty one through 32 says. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word, then you are truly a disciple of mine. And you will know what? The truth. And the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth. Now we recognize Jesus is the truth, but what is wisdom? Wisdom is Jesus. And when you know Christ and when you submit it to him, when you seek wisdom with all your heart then you'll be able to discern between right and wrong. Why? Because this will become the plumb line. This will become the foundation of your morals instead of the shifting sand of the culture. This is the reason why, as I told you last week, at the age of 39, I can still stand upon God's word since the moment of salvation as a young boy all all the way till now. My morals and ethics have not changed because they're based on God's word. What is right and what is wrong is based on his word. It has not changed, though I have watched the culture shift all over for multiple years. We'll understand, God will give us that understanding of right from wrong. He'll also guard you and deliver you from the way of evil. It says this in chapter 2, it says this down in verse 11, or in verse 12, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. Church, when you are seeking God's wisdom, you'll be able to recognize right from wrong, you'll be able to discern the evil way and turn from it. I love Ephesians 6. And at the end of Ephesians 6, we see this warfare, right? But look at what it says in verse 11 through 13. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world's forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor so that you'll be able to what? Resist in the evil days and having done everything to stand firm. Church, God gives us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word, the strength to stand against the evil ways of this world. You say, David, I'm just continually struggling with this sin. I call it my stronghold. Well, I'm here to tell you, you need to dive deep into God's word and let his mercy and grace just wash over you. Church, when we Seek God's wisdom. He gives us the Holy Spirit that allows us to stand firm in the midst of the evil ways of this world. By putting on his full armor. And part of the armor is what? The word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts through the bone and marrow all the way to the soul. Church, 
God tells us that the reward of walking in obedience, his portion is, is that he will give us understanding of right from wrong. He will deliver us and give us what we need to deliver us from the way of evil. Then it says this, he will lengthen our days and give us peace. Lengthen our days and give us peace. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you what? Life and have it abundantly. Life and have it abundantly. Listen, you want to have peace? Then you must know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now you may sit here and you may say, David, I I struggle with this. It says that if we walk in obedience, then part of the reward will be the length of days. And I know people who have walked in obedience of God's word and they died an early death. Why? We'll explain that in just a moment. So hold that thought. The other thing that we see is that God will lead you on the straight path. God will, well, let me go back for a second, length of days. Can I tell you, the, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Those who walk according to the world are going to put themselves in positions that could bring themselves to an early death. Think about it. Somebody who says, well, I, I don't necessarily believe that uh, drinking of excess will harm me, even though the scripture says do not be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit. And you've seen people who have, through alcoholism, have either had liver issues or even drunk driving and other things that have brought death. Or people who, who walk in trying to find peace and they go into to, to seek drugs and all these different things that have brought about an early death. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Let me continue on. God will lead you on the straight path. He'll lead you on the straight path. This is part of that famous verse in 5 and 6. In your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Church, I love Matthew 7 and Matthew 7 verses 13 through 14. It talks about the narrow way and the broad way. What does the narrow way, way lead to? It leads to life. God will keep us and direct us on the way to life, not on the broad way. When we seek him, we can trust that he's leading us down the way to life. He's leading us the direction to eternal life through the narrow gate, which is Jesus Christ. Church, we can trust him that his direction is good for us. His direction is right for us. We don't have to sit there and say, well, I thought this would be a better way, God. We can say, no, I know that he loves me, he cares for me, and he's directing me in the proper direction. And the last thing I just want us to look at before I discuss that last point is this. God will take care of your needs. You know, in verse 10, it says your barns will be overflowed uh, with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Some people may think, well, that's the prosperity gospel, David. If you just walk in obedience of this, you'll get all this stuff. I believe that this passage is saying that if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. God will give you that which you need. You may say, but I want more. I think that we need to check our heart in that moment. What are you seeking more? God's word, God, or the things of this world. So we see in this passage that we're called to receive wisdom. We see in this passage we're called to obey wisdom. We see in this passage that we're called 
uh, or that we see the reward of wisdom, which is God's portion of the covenant. But then we also see these last two verses, and I'll make this very quick, but I want you to hear this. In the last two verses, we see that the promises of God are now and forever. This is what he says in verse 11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. It says, for whom the Lord loves, he reproves, and as a, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Church, we've got to recognize that God, in his love, disciplines us. But when we think of discipline, we often think of it just as a matter of being disciplined for something we did wrong, right? Oftentimes we think, well, I had to go to the principal's office and I was disciplined because I did this wrong. But can I tell you that, yes, that's part of Scripture. Scripture tells us that when we walk in disobedience, God will bring about discipline in our life to bring us back to the straight and narrow. Praise God for it. But it also tells us in Scripture that discipline is not simply just being disciplined for doing something wrong, but discipline is also this understanding of disciplining yourself to grow in Christ. It's like the idea of somebody who goes to the gym. They're not going to the gym because they're in trouble. They're going to the gym to discipline themselves so that they will grow with their muscles, right? Their strength. So what we see is that God allows things in our life to discipline us or bring about discipline, the growth, the strengthening, right? So that we may look more and more like Christ, Because we live in a fallen world, the enemy tries to bring all this stuff against us. God uses it for his glory and for our good to grow us. You say, well, David, I don't understand why somebody who followed the word and and all of this died at a young age because of this or that. Well, I'm here to tell you, church, that the rewards of God are for eternity. They are guaranteed for all of eternity. But in the midst of a fallen world, God allows things to happen to show his goodness, to show his glory, to show his redemptive uh, uh, heart. We recognize in James 1, 2 through 4, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces something. It produces endurance. And let your endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Church, we see the rewards of what God does when we are walking in obedience. But we have to recognize that these rewards are sometime now, but always forever. The rewards that we see in Scripture, yes, sometimes we experience here on this earth, but they are always for eternity. How long will a believer be with Christ when they go to heaven? How long? For eternity. Church, we must recognize, yes, some are now, but all are for eternity. So when we look at Proverbs, we see that we must receive wisdom. We see that we must obey wisdom. And when we walk in obedience of wisdom, we see the reward that God gives us through his covenant relationship with us.